Howdy, y'all. This is Market Explainer, America's number one business news podcast. Every week, we break down the hottest four stories of that week from the wide world of business. Before we uh, hop into this uh, set of stories today, I want to remind everybody that they can go to our Patreon. Mm-hmm. It's patreon.com slash Market Explainer. We're building a catalog of content over there. MarketExplainer.com. Um, has all That's of our correct. episodes and our Patreon and That's our YouTube right. link, all that kind of stuff. I and like all to throw of our that sponsors, out there. Of all of our sponsors, we have more sponsors than just the four that we talk about on the show. Mm-hmm. All three. <laughs> so, it's a wild world out there, folks. You want to stay informed about business? This is the place to come do that. Uh, and this first story, excited. <laughs> Danny loves these kind of stories. He really does. It just gets him up in the morning. Ozzy Media, a company that I've never heard of, but I have maybe come across tangentially here and there. Um, and I, the really my first entree into coming across the story was uh, the podcaster, the hip hop podcaster Adam Twenty Two, quote tweeting the founder of Ozzy Media because it is being shut down, mm-hmm. and his response to the initial uh, New York Times article claiming that this whole company is effectively a sham. And his response to the New York Times was that he had a mental health breakdown, and that's why he spent nearly a decade defrauding investors in a fake media company. Okay, so, well, the the CEO didn't have a breakdown. The COO had a breakdown. Correct. But, okay. Which is so why he ob- defrauded investors for decades. <laughs> Obviously, the story, as Danny says, is this Aussie media, which, again, I had never heard of either, which is crazy to me to think about because I went and went to their website and kind of looked through it and whatever. And and if you look at the original premise for the, the media company, I'm surprised that I didn't know about it. it I mean, right. this is supposed to be, we're going to talk about stories that other websites don't talk about. We're right. going to do it in a truthful, unbiased manner. We're just going to put information out there. The, 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 what do you call it? The company motto or the, right. the reason behind the company, the, the vision statement, the, the mission vision statement. statement, very much behind. I get, I like, like yeah. that, that, that is so, great. Aussie media had all the makings at its at its outset of being a more polished and less offensive vice magazine type place. Right. Yeah. Um, and listen, we're not a political show, but we're all human beings. And, you know, we all have political opinions, but like we all have buttholes. So uh, <laughs> I'm just going to say a political opinion. And this is uh-huh. just one of my personal pet peeves. Uh, in this article, which we'll, you know, which we'll always link in our show notes, mm-hmm. one of the employees said the main reason that they stayed was because the staff was so diverse. Yes. Throw everyone off a bridge. What are you doing? Well, okay, come on. There, there are people that stay at companies because, like I said, they believed in the vision statement. And in this case, diversity was part of that vision statement, right? They wanted to make right. sure. So, look, the fact is, is this week they voted to essentially shut down the company, which is really shouldn't be a surprise for its 75 full-time employees, which have no idea at this point if and when they're going to get any money passed yeah. last week. Um, I know that um, they, yeah, which is... Um, how do they have any? How, listen, so this company started back in 2013 with the founder and co-founder 
CEO, COO, um, Carlos, what was Watson. this guy's name? Carlos Watson. And Samir and Rayo or Rayo. Rao. Yeah, that's Rao. my cousin, Samir Rao. Samir I'm Rao. kidding. Yeah. Um, so these are Harvard guys. No, one's a Stanford guy. He's a, smart guys. a lawyer. Yeah, smart people. They took, they got money. Uh, they were attempting to raise money from Goldman Sachs. And the COO just goes, oopsie daisy. I accidentally impersonated a YouTube executive. Oops. No, well, so that's the part that was, when I got into this, and I really did, I actually had to go and open up a couple of different articles and yeah. figure out, okay, what was Aussie Media? how they got up, and then what right. was this was all about. So Aussie Media was growing. They got angel investors, which actually included in the early days some hey. Goldman Sachs people, right? Wait, hold on. Do you know how much the final number on their raise it appears to be? No, this is not their formal number, their informal yeah. number from third party. $86 million. So they've been able to pull in $86 million over the last seven years, right? And then because... Even though, and this is according to BuzzFeed, what? BuzzFeed in 2017 did a whole publisher's article on them s accusing them of buying web traffic, low quality yeah. web traffic, and that their right. numbers were fake or whatever. But so you've, they, these two shysters have literally right. stolen $80 million. And then toward the end of last year, we're going to get another $40 million from Goldman Sachs. Right. Goldman Sachs, of course, like everybody, all right, well, great, let's meet up. Your numbers look great, your whatever, let's meet up. They're gonna talk to, in your what you said, they're gonna talk to YouTube, right? Yeah. The guy at YouTube that's been working with the company. Right. They're gonna talk to YouTube. Um, they, to do due diligence, which is a good thing. To do due diligence, which you're supposed to, right? And the, it was originally supposed to be a Zoom call, which would have a problem, because it was on camera. So right. before the Zoom call, the person that we now know was not the person from YouTube. It was, yeah, it was Samir Rao. Samir, um, yeah. Said, uh, sent them an email or whatever. Said, I can't get on Zoom. I'm having problems with Zoom. I can't get logged in. Can we just do this over a conference call? Right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. No red flags there. No. Um, and then they get on this old school conference call, start talking about it. Samir which is not Samir, he's supposed to be the YouTube guy, right. uh, is telling them how awesome Carlos Watson is to work right. with and all that stuff, that all these numbers are great, that the YouTube channel's doing great, yada, yada. And so much so that something during the call happens that Goldman Sachs, the people on the Goldman Sachs side says, wait a minute, this does not sound right. Now, it must have been something audio right. because according to the article, it says that they were, the red flag was something to do with voice modulation, that it didn't sound right. So right, and basically person, he was using a voice changer to make it not yeah, sound so like Samir. Samir was not only, like, and then using technology on top of it, that it's enough of a red flag for them to get off the call, start investigating. It wasn't hard for them to figure out. All they did is reach out to, uh, what was the guy's name at YouTube? Uh, I don't have it directly in front of me, but anyway, Same. Piper, Mr. Piper. So, right. uh, so they reach out to Mr. Piper's assistant. Mr. Piper's assistant gets a hold of Mr. Piper. Mr. Piper calls them back, Goldman Sachs, and says, "I wasn't on that meeting. Right. I don't know anything about that meeting." 
Right. All right. And it and turns so out it's, that it's very simple for them to figure it out. Now, the question is, is how does an $86 million company that's raised that kind of money right. think that they're going to get away with impersonating a well, YouTube officer? So, you're right. So uh, let me just, uh, you know, I'm back in my the catalog of my genius brain here. Uh -huh. um, there's a there's a um, journalist named Tim Poole who used to work at Vice and all these other big companies, and he said it was a common practice that he witnessed where a company like Vice would go buy up these smaller and, for lack of a better word, kind of skeevy clickbait websites. Right. And what they would do is these skeevy clickbait websites, like you will not believe what the fifth celebrity. How they look now. Right. Right. Because they get clicks. They get they right. Get their, and those yeah. get clicks and those get, you know, they do cheap ads on Twitter and Facebook. They get clicked through. And what they would do is that's how they would pad their data. Because they right. would say, oh, we have, you know, these five or 10 different websites that deal in specific issues. Um, you know, we have a separate website for music, a separate website for food. And, you know, th so they would just say, hey, we have 50 domains or whatever. And this is the traffic for all. And the average advertiser is not going to dive too deep into this. And just they're going to look right. at the top line, which is, hey, they get 50 million unique visitors a month, which is now the claim from Aussie media to their advertisers was that they get that many clicks. They had, they had investment from Axel Springer, the company we talked about a few weeks ago that acquired Politico. Mm -hmm. They had investment from huge vest in, um, venture capital firms. These are all people, especially Axel Springer, that have the capacity to parse the data to figure out they're lying. But they didn't. Look, this is look. You are right. It has become commonplace for companies that are internet-based media yes. companies, YouTube right. channels, whatever, to fluff their numbers. Yes. So much so that it's almost expected that if you didn't, right. you didn't even try really hard. Like, I mean, it's, you know, it's like it's like when you find out a UFC fighter or an MMA fighter isn't juicing. You're like, what's going on? Buy a pal. <laughs> or, my, you, look, uh, you know, Tour de France, like everybody's juiced up. What's how, that? Did, how did this company get through the BuzzFeed article in 2017 when they were accused of shady numbers and stuff like that, get these advertisers. And, and really what it boils down to, we did, an, we did a, a story probably about a month ago about, well, actually several months ago on what was it, lucid, charismatic people and, uh, you know, charismatic CEOs, right? right? And we talked about Michael Dell, not that he has anything to do with with uh, bad, nothing like this. Just, yeah. just Michael Dell in the way that Michael Dell got this last round of investment just by sitting down with a bunch of billionaires and saying, "Hey, welcome on down to Austin." Te you know what I mean? And, and right, he and doesn't talk talking. like that at all. Yeah. So you got a CEO that apparently everybody likes, right? And right. this Carlos Watson guy that was able to just sit down with these multimillionaires and say, right. "Hey, write me a check because it's all right. gonna be fine." And one of these, also Carlos Watson doesn't talk like that. But one of these. I know one of these companies, I believe it was Disney, I don't remember, invested. And this is where, you know, I said something pseudo political. Everything's been politicized in 2021. So, sure. but they said, well, we invested out of a grant fund, out of an angel fund that's for minority CEOs or something like right. that. Right. And I think that there's a part of this that that part drives me nuts. 
which is well, there's a this fund was put together and there's a brown guy somewhere who's starting a legitimate company that's actually interesting to people who isn't going to get the eight million dollars that this guy got 80 million it doesn't eight million one way or the other or i think it was 10 that they got that make a difference well but that was eight million dollars that he got i'm guessing i'm I just mean, throwing but, out no, a no, number but it was millions of dollars and it was millions yeah. of dollars that he got that didn't go to somebody else that was a legit company look right. this is this is over and over again when you look at the 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 past of this company now all coming to light you have to wonder how does a company like this get to 80 million dollars like this is a right. good old-fashioned scam people would be going to jail for this in the 80s right the wolf right. of wall street thing right yeah people would be going to jail for this in the 80s but now this company's just going to shut down these 75 employees and all their freelance writers whoever gets paid by this company the last seven years is right. no longer going to get paid the well, company creators the watson guy the samir guy they're going to walk away millionaires well actually it turns out the fbi is actually investigating this because of mr rouse and you know a freelance interpretation okay, so of pretending he, to be so somebody he else. Pretended to be somebody else. He's okay. here's the thing. That's called here's fraud, what will happen. But they yeah. didn't write a check. YouTube, right? Right. Goldman Sachs did not give him the only Any the money. only chance of anybody actually going to jail is if the original investors, the eighty million dollars they've already created, right, right, come back and try to sue them, which they're not going to. They're just because I mean, it's not worth the million dollars in lawsuits to put them in not. jail. All it does is cost them money for lawyers. So they're going to write it off and right. go on about their business. That, I mean, and, it's just the way it works. And um, my guess, my best estimation is that even if Mr. Rao faces some sort of, you know, like he has to pay restitution, it will be a fraction of the golden parachute he walks out of this company with. One hundred percent. These two, well, these two, the CEO and COO in this case, Watson and Rao, will walk away with millions of dollars while yeah. everybody else loses their job and may or may not get another paycheck from here. Right. right. Like they, they, they again, according to the story and everything I could find, they have yet to tell their they've told their freelancers, you will get a check for last week and you're done. That's it. Which yeah. is part of freelancing. Right. That yeah. you always know that's bound that can happen. But the actual 75 full time employees have yet to be told whether they're going to get severance, whether they're going to get paid, whether. Right. And I guarantee it, they're going to get nothing. I mean, that's what I'm willing to bet because anything that they get paid from this standpoint would be yeah. out of the CEO and COO's pocket, right? right? And that they that can't point. walk away with. And when it comes, we know traditionally speaking, CEOs and COOs, especially that are going to have a little bit of a hard time finding their next gig because right. their last company was proved to be a fraud, right? Right. They're not. What if I give everybody a month of severance? That would be millions of dollars out of mine when I can just walk away with it. Right, right. And tell you that the company's bankrupt. And oh, by the way, just as a little cherry on top of this fraud Sunday that is this this company, yeah. um, of course, Aussie Media, I being the generation I was born in, you say yeah, Aussie, yeah. I Ozzy think Osborne. Ozzy Osbourne right. is currently being sued by the Osbournes because of the name Aussie Media. So, you know. Yeah, because they had a, they had a festival. And this this is Fire Festival if it survived, right? <laughs> right, of course. So they had an Aussie fest, and um, the Osborne sued because they're like, hey, this is... Because when you reach a certain amount of fame and, and fortune mm -hmm. as an artist, 
you start trademarking your name, you start trademarking all this, yeah, your likeness, because that's that's revenue. So you want to protect. So when they when the company started Ozzyfest, the Osbournes filed a lawsuit. Here's the here's the cherry on top of the cherry (laughs) of this fraud Sunday, which is the guy. Um, Carlos Watson went on CNBC, referred to this lawsuit, and said, guess what? After seeing our books, the Osbournes decided to invest in our company. Oh, yes. I remember. I read about that. They lied about having the Osbournes, talking to the Osbournes, having approval. And apparently that wasn't the only time they lied about having approval from other companies to do other things. So it was lie after lie after lie. And then on top of all of that, apparently... These two people treated their employees like crap. Yes. They screamed at their so, employees in the office in front of each other people. They were and, a constant dread to their employees. And guess what? As, as much as they want to blame uh, Mr. Rao's mental breakdown, turns out it wasn't the first time he impersonated somebody in order to gain investment. I did not know so, that. Yeah, that was in a different article. Um, the New York Times article, you know, we're, we're referencing the CNBC one here. But the New York Times article was the one that basically broke the story. And you're right. There is a valid question to ask here is, why did the New York Times article kill them in a way that the, the BuzzFeed article from three years ago didn't kill them? Well, and Who what knows? took the last eight months? Yeah. This happened in February, right? The phone call right. happened February 2nd. What exactly took the last eight months for the New York Times, CNBC, everybody else, what happened between now and then for them to... Because this didn't become a story until they have a meeting that says we're done. Right. How and does listen, that happen? I mean, seriously, I, you and I cover business every week. Right. I have yet to... Not only did I not know this company existed, I didn't right. know this scam, which should be huge news for a right. company this size, right, right to, to, to be committing fraud. And not only be committing fraud, but... Have now have a track record of committing fraud for almost a, a decade. while. Right. right. How does this only become news when they're closed? Like, what happened between February and October that right. this wasn't a news story? So, let me just put it this way, okay? The most compelling news story from Aussie media was other companies covering Aussie media going bankrupt. <laughs> the most compelling piece of content that this media company ever produced is was their own demise. That is, but that That's, in itself is awesome. Like that, that, I, I, look, this should be an example. I guarantee you this will be one of those that like five years from now will be in some business textbook or whatever about how a bunch of idiots raised and made millions of dollars off of completely fake information and here's right. how they got caught. Right? Like it's one of those right. situational Right. You know. Well, before we move on to the next story, I do want to just let everyone in our audience and our Patreons know you can invest in our new media company. <laughs> this is not a fake media company LLC. You can go to this is not a fake media company.com. Oh, 
You can give us your uh, one-time investment of six thousand. You have a six thousand dollar floor. Um, there's a two hundred fifty thousand dollars ceiling. Don't do that. Don't don't do that at all. That Danny is full of crap as always. So I, no, 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 no. If I was going to start a media company, it would definitely not be. This is a fake media company. It would it, be more like this is not, like, this is stupid, not a fake give media me company. Or Listen, it's literally right in the name. This is not a <laughs> fake media company. Not a fake media. <laughs> Can you just imagine a guy explaining to his wife, like it literally says, "Not a fake it media company." It says not, company. honey. It says not. I'm, I'm investing in something. It obviously says it's not. It's I like know. the uh, going out of business electronic store and all the movies and TV shows, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm just looking at Mr. Uh, Watson's YouTube channel, which, by the way, he did tell his investors that the show was going to be carried by A and E. That was also a lie. That was, that was not the case. Wow. Yeah. Um, he has less than 100,000 subscribers. Oops. I hope we didn't catch that on the recording. Anyways, I just went to go look to see what his YouTube channel has because at some point in time, somebody should have been like, you don't even have like 100,000 subscribers. You know? That, but uh, do you realize in today's world, and this is not necessarily about this story just in general, do you realize in today's world how many old whites employ young people to yeah. do social media or social media advertising or whatever that have no clue what these young people do. There are a whole bunch of young people out there getting paid millions of dollars out of, you right. know, total when you combine all these people that may or may not be helping the company they work for at all. Right. right. Because no, that right. old person has no clue what the young person is doing or is supposed right. to do. Right. Yeah. All they know I, is they set them up a Facebook business page with they had no clue how to do. Right. right. And so, so you have in this way, you have a company that is. Th these old these old people do not. Sure, I'll write you a check for 20. This is a case of it's who, you know. What are your yeah. circles? Can you go around and get enough people to give you a million dollars a piece or five million dollars a piece because they don't need it anyway, right? Right. So they're just going to give it to you because you're starting a media company, you got a good vision statement, and yeah. you're easy to talk to, right? Like, right. Yeah. And he frauded you out of it. Is it not? I guarantee it's not a big surprise to these people that gave him eighty million dollars. And listen, I don't know that this is fraud. He got money from people who could afford to lose it, who invested in a company, which, you know, how many did they invest in that year to, to get? I mean, one of this was from a fund where they kind of, ex you know, I, I just. <laughs> it is fraud because yeah. they lied, but yeah. I get where you're going with it. What's a lie? They did not. They did. In this case, you know how I like to stick up for the little guys and investing and stuff yeah. like that. They did not go out and take anybody's money that's making $50,000 a year, right. $30,000 a year. So listen, they didn't go what? IPO first and then right. figure out it was a fraud. What? I'm just saying, what is a lie other than a truth that you cannot prove and do not believe? <laughs> and know? there is the core difference between Danny and I, and that's a great note to end this story on. Danny, what right. do we got next? Uh, we're going to jump in and we're going to talk about Ford's new plant. But before that, I want to tell all of you about Acre Gold. Acre Gold, meet the new store of value, same as the original store of value. Thoughtfully designed and at two and a half grams of gold, it is the perfect size for the seasoned gold investor or the first time gold investor. 
The nice thing about Acre Gold, when you click the link down in our description down below, is that you start an account with Acre, you build up, you accrue some funds, and when you hit that number, which you know gold fluctuates in price, when you hit that number, they send you two and a half grams of gold. And that subscription keeps rolling in time and memoriam. And it's, it's, a, it's a good enough amount that if you want to just get started, hey, listen, I had a nephew at some point in time in the past. You know, I'm super concerned about my own uh, you know, security and privacy. The first thing I bought this kid um, was uh, gold. Mm-hmm. There's a couple chips of gold. wasn't a ton, but the point is, you know, at some point in time in the future, that kid's going to turn those gold bars in for carrots. Like just regular carrots. <laughs> when the reclamation happens, the zompoc. All right. Those are coming uh, real useful in the zombie apocalypse. That's correct. Um, so, I, I, you know, we've talked about this. You know, I, I have a car podcast, which I haven't done an episode of in a long time. Uh, but we've talked about the electric car future on this, on this podcast several times. Um, I have made conflicting statements on our show. That I hate electric cars and that I also love electric cars and I don't hate, I mean, <laughs> here's the reality. I love the concept of new technology in cars. I also hate the rapid application of saying all cars are going to be electric in the future. And we're talking in less than 10 years, uh, a lot of companies are saying by 2030, they expect to be fully electric. Now, a lot of companies have not done what Ford has done, which is Ford is building a, something called Blue Oval City. They're investing about $11.4 billion in Tennessee and Kentucky to build a battery. Uh, a, a well, battery they're factory. building a manufacturing plant for their new yes. electric trucks, and they're building battery plants in both of them. Right. I, and this yeah. is this is Tesla is actually doing this at the Gigafactory here in Austin. They've right. also said we're going to build batteries here as well, because what they figured out very quickly in the last couple of years is they need more batteries than they thought. And that currently America doesn't make any of them. Right. right. So they needed to if we're going to be able to sustain what they think may be an electric revolution in the car industry right. we're gonna have to be in charge of our supply chain for those batteries right right so so ford the big deal here to me is two parts one a company like ford this we've said this over and over in our electric car talks you have these small companies you yeah. and i both agree that these small companies should eventually get eaten up by these big ford general motors these big companies or just put will. out of business by them Right. Yeah. When you get Ford, that's going to put eleven billion dollars into it. Now right. it's a serious game. When when a company, let's for the sake of comparison, Rivian, which is attempting to go public, which mm-hmm. has lost a billion dollars already. Literally, they've burned a billion dollars already. Of course. You still can't go buy one of their vehicles anywhere. I was just watching a company. I was just watching a review of one of their uh, their the R one T truck. Mm-hmm. Where can I go? Look it doesn't at matter one? because I can't go yeah. get one. This is right. all of the the Lucid Air, you know, one that they yes. sold out. Even the Tesla Cybertruck and whatever that'll eventually get here. But again, the point is, is I can't go buy one of these. If at Ford, least Tesla has a track record of taking people's money and delivering a product. Right, Lucid right. at least. But everybody Faraday else Future, doesn't. Faraday Future was another one. 
Um, there's there's three or four different companies that I can pull out that was like, we're going to have an electric car. When? 2022. Because they, they don't have the infrastructure to build one. Ford right. does, and that's the difference. Right. They know how to, and this is what they needed. But here, I like that they picked Tennessee and Kentucky. These are two states that are right-to-work states. They're non-union right. states, which is probably right. one of the reasons they pulled them. But yep. they are ravaged by the coal industry going down the tubes. Yes. So you've got a whole bunch of hungry workforce blue collar guys who are ready that you can put it on an assembly line they're eager to learn new skills part a big chunk of this is ford going we know not only are we going to have to hire these people which they're looking at hiring what eleven thousand people or something like that in these two states they are looking at they've set aside money which this is this is a rare thing for company to do they've gone hey not only are we going to hire 11,000 people between these two factories, and it's probably going to end up being more than that, we've right. set aside money. We know we're going to have to train this workforce for right. these jobs. Right. Because you can't go out. You're not hiring someone. Same thing here with Tesla here in Austin. You're not right. hiring someone that has previous putting electric vehicles together experience. Because well, it's never existed. It's so. never existed before. So they realize that they're going to have to grab Joe Bob over here. Right. Right. That May has only done a couple of odd jobs in his life, right? Random right. jobs. And train Joe Bob. Joe Bob just has to have the want to learn to a do new the skill. job. And they're going to grab him and give him a different kind of job. So here's the thing. I personally, I, I'm conflicted. I despise the the rapid electrification. And I this is me turning into an old curmudgeon, right? Like get off my lawn <laughs> guy. Right. This is me turning in to get off my lawn guy. Um, uh, but at the same time, have despised over the last decade of me, you know, learning and educating myself that uh, the United States does not have infrastructure to build things. We cannot continue to be a net consumer nation right. and believe to, and, and think we can thrive. We have to build things. Well, right? and that's and, what this guy's trying to do. Bill Ford, the great great yeah. the great grandson, right? Yeah. Is trying to do that. That's that's to me, that is the story. It's really right. not electric so, vehicles because to me so electric happy, vehicles could still go down the tubes. Right. And I here's the thing. I am curious to see, and I would make the bet if I had money, that we're not going to see the great electrification of vehicles by 2030. What we will see though is a lot of city folk having electric cars because we still have to overcome, I think the biggest issue that we have to overcome with electric cars is range anxiety. And the greatest solution to range anxiety to me is the Chevy Volt, not Bolt, but Volt with a V, Volt. Yeah. which had the small gas engine, mm-hmm. which charged. And there's a logic here that a lot of people, I'm not a mechanical engineer, my dad is one, but that doesn't make me one by osmosis. But if you take an engine, especially like a diesel engine, where it's not revving up and going down and up and down and mm-hmm. whatever, it's just 400 RPMs the whole right. time. It's just a generator. That, my friends, that engine might go two, 300,000 miles because you know, a little diesel engine, there's no load on it. There's nothing on right, there. Right, right. Exactly. <clears throat> that solves the range anxiety problem. So the diesel electric hybrid to me makes a lot more sense. 
than just the regular. But you could electric. build a You could build a diesel electric hybrid out of an electric vehicle factory, but you can't necessarily build an electric vehicle out of a current. Correct. Fact. That's what so, I think is smart here. I so that's think what this I'm trying guy to say. is going. Yes. Hey, my great granddad would have been on board with this. Of course, because he would have saw. Hey, this a this is a potential future. Which guess what? By the way, Ford was a potential future back then. Too. Yes, there were people and, that said there was no way. Yeah, no. By the way, the existing Ford that you see, the cars that you see driving around today, they're from the third Ford. Ford had three companies go bankrupt, or two companies, or two or three go bankrupt. This is the fourth, I think, third or fourth. I think um, one fourth. of them, what's that? I think it's the fourth. Yeah, so one of them, which I believe is the third one, was purchased out of bankruptcy by General Motors, and they rebranded it as Cadillac. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying I really appreciate that a established stalwart, which in the 90s, if you told me Ford was going to be the most forward-thinking incumbent automaker, I would have been like, yeah, right, dude. I mean, uh, the Ford Taurus of the 90s makes you want to cry for Ford. Well, absolutely, but the, look, right. at $11 billion, let's really put this in perspective. $11 billion right. is not a ton of money to Ford, right? It's so nothing. It might as well be $2. To, so, so it's a big, it's, it's a big investment right in these right. two states one of them the the i think it was the mayor came out and said this is the uh largest Stand amount Tennessee. of money the largest investment in the state that's ever been in that state am i remember right. that yeah so kentucky governor Andy okay. Bashir. this is the single largest investment in the history of kentucky Right. Okay, the five billion dollars coming in or six billion, whatever their portion is, right? Yeah. So look, so it's a great thing, but I think that's what someone like a For Bill Ford in this case, right? right. The great grandson of of uh you know the great creator great. of Ford, right? Um, comes in and says, I'm going to employ spend spend money in two states that need it. I'm gonna right. employ people that we've been talking about putting people back to work from these coal mining and these for people decades. That, towns that have been dying for decades. Right. We're going to educate them, right? right? Because it's to our benefit. And I'm going to pay for all of that for something that ultimately will benefit them, whether the electron, the electrification actually right. goes out or not, they're going to do something with these factories, right? Correct. Whether, cause I agree with you. I don't think anyone in the automotive industry knows what the future holds, whether it's all right. electric because we've talked about how lithium still has to come out of the ground, folks. Okay, gas comes so, out of the ground, lithium so, comes out of the ground. So, like, I don't... The biggest issue I have with electric is the green perception. And it's sincerely a perception... It's marketing. Created, it's marketing, but who, who perpetuates the perception? The, 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 the green nuts, right? right? Yeah. The eco-fascists are the ones who are perpetuating the electric cars saving the planet when a Prius, you know, I think they did a study or, you know, whatever in, in the late two thousands, they said, well, the Prius, because of how the um, battery, the, the raw materials for the battery go from Africa to Japan and then back to the United States and they have to get refined, all this other stuff. The, the Prius was harsher on the environment than the Hummer H2, but it is the perception 
of these mediocre milk toast, like master, master in fine arts degree holding, you know, who worked at Starbucks saying, well, I can't really get a good job. And those people are saying, well, the press saves the planet. Folks, this is why Danny, this is, this is what Danny's real issues are with electric yes. cars. It's really not the electric car. This is the, Danny's issue yes. with the electric car. And it doesn't make any noise. And I'm a, I, I'm a 12 year old boy. I want it to go vroom, vroom. I, I have no doubt that Ford will fix that. Seriously. Like, at some Ford, point, yeah. Somebody will come along and fix that. It's just a programming thing. It's yeah, just a and, muffler and a blower. It's just like it's something and, so simple that for no reason right now they they don't want to deal with the weight and they don't yeah. want to deal with figuring it out. But somebody will, even and, if it's an aftermarket it's, thing. And listen, it's not that wild of a concept because um, BMW puts speakers on the outside of their cars, some of their cars, <laughs> some of their higher end. Uh, um, M competition cars or whatever um, to pump out noise because they built quieter cars so they want to pump out noise and it's such a mind screw but at the same time you go oh that's what I wanted right yeah, but well, there's but something look, inauthentic is, about it when they're pumping the noise into the car and out of the car it's, you know. this is what the industry needed right because Tesla, one of Tesla's biggest drawback, again, and we said this a couple of weeks ago on a different story, is infrastructure. Not only building yeah. them, but but they have to be worked on. They have to be dealt yeah. with. They have to, they're going to break down. They're going to whatever. They've got to be charged. Ford will spend the money right. educating its techs all over the country and every Ford dealership out there, right? Correct. Where Tesla does not have that option. Right. Tesla, you and, have one place to go, and that's if you live near a Tesla. And that's and here's the other uh, Tesla dealer. Here's the other thing. You know, we've talked about before. Teslas have awful suspension reliability. They're, un they're insanely heavy for the suspension they put them in. Right. Ford has a little better knowledge on how to build heavy-duty suspensions. They have the supplier relationships. Not that Tesla can't build relationships. But the reality is an established company like Ford, there's a certain amount of trust that a, a person has in a buying an F-150 Lightning when they've had three or four F-150s in their lifetime versus going to a Model, uh, Model X or going to the, the Cybertruck, which who knows when a Cybertruck will be available. They have a little more reliable, they have a little more sense of He's a real company that, you know, my granddaddy drove an F-150. Well, and they already right? have, again, the infrastructure. They can bring techs in from all over the nation, train them, and send them back to all over the nation. Right. Tesla does not have that ability, right? right? And again, I'm not bashing Tesla here. I'm just saying they're the biggest one to compare to if Ford <clears> is really getting in the game. Now, he came out and said, and again, take this with a grain of salt, that he figures by 2030, 40% of Ford's... Uh, vehicles will be electric. Now, again, you got to think that's 40%. That's not 90. That's 40%. And it could all be a bunch of, okay, mm -hmm. you got your one stream of F-150 Lightning, right. and you got a whole bunch of cars, right? Yeah. But here's our other explorers or whatever. Mustang Mach-E. High mileage gas engines. Right. right. Which that, to me, it is more likely if I was a betting man, I would bet more on engines getting better high yes. mileage engines i think yeah. it's more likely that you'll see 
50 miles to the gallon on gas yes. engines, then you will see electric engines because people yeah. will buy into that. If I yes. have the F-150 Lightning or I've yeah. got an F-150 that has a 50 mile per gallon engine in it, yeah, I think your average because, American is going to go with the 50 mile per gallon engine. Yeah, because it has a... Right. And I think because there's a certain amount of... I, it's It's not simply the infrastructure. It's if I want my car to keep going, I put gas in my truck, right? Right. And I just do that. It takes eight minutes or 35 minutes if you go to Costco when there's gas change price day. Um, whereas charging is an overnight procedure. And listen, if you're, I'm, That'll I'm get better a, too. I mean, seriously, I'm an elder millennial. Technologies will get better. Batteries will right. get better. Listen, that kind of stuff. But I'm an elder millennial. I remember plugging in my Motorola flip phone at night. Hoping, oh shoot, it's one o'clock. Will I have a full charge by the time I have to leave for school? Right, right. Whereas now, if I'm leaving the house and I have twenty percent battery, I go, ah, oh, shoot, I got to wait fifteen minutes for this thing to get all the to go to one hundred percent. That's literally what it takes fifteen minutes. Yeah, no, I and I'm like, it. I got to wait fifteen Look, minutes. Hey, again, Texas, I appreciate it. Ford is investing at least ninety million dollars in educating Texas mechanics. Yeah. The new business. $90 million just in the state of Texas alone. Guess what they're thinking who's going to be buying these F-150 Lightnings? Listen, Texas is the number one purchaser of F-150s in the world, I believe. Uh, yes, right? it is. Yeah. Um, again, I'm not a Ford guy. My last truck was a Ford, but that was just, it was the right vehicle at the time. But I'm really a Chevy guy, but uh, no thanks. No, I'm, I'm not buying again, your Lightning. It's just the fact that they're doing it, right? Like yeah. that, that to me is uh, you and I being a business podcast, we look for trends, we look for for things that may tell us right. something else, right? You're right. saying this, but this is what you mean. If they're telling you up front that we're building these two factories over here in Tennessee and Kentucky, but right. we're investing 90 million dollars of an education budget in the state of Texas alone to train right. our technicians on how to work on these vehicles, Right. It's got to tell you something on where they think these vehicles are going to be sold. Right. No, that does tell you something. But. You know what I mean? So I, I think it's good for the I think it's good for the electric industry because even if again, even if they don't come out with just electrification everything, I right. think this helps support because you got to think Tesla's going to go to Ford at some point if they do all of this and it all works out. Tesla's going to go, hey, let's cross train. Let's use yeah. your infrastructure of dealerships. We'll make you all Tesla certified, right? Whatever it is. Or yeah. whatever. You give us 20% of what you make. Like, you've got to think that comes down the road because it's the only thing that makes sense right. to get this and out there. And because I don't think Tesla's going to start popping up in rural areas. Why would um, they want to when you can just partner with Ford? Exactly. Because there's already a Ford dealership in these rural areas. Yeah. So right? I, I agree. Yeah. You know, it, and Ford may not want to do it in the beginning because Tesla is Tesla. But once you start rolling this out, we've seen it all over with every industry, even with General Motors and Ford and all. They all come out of very similar factories and places. They all help each other out with 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 shipments of goods. Right. Yeah. They all share all kinds of different things. Right. Yeah. Like what what is would be hilarious for a lot of people to know is. If you go buy a Ford F two fifty or a, a Chevy, no, it's it's the 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 fifteen hundred and one fifties. If you see a ten speed transmission, 
General Motors and Ford co-developed that, and they just exactly. tuned them a little differently. That's what I'm saying. <clears throat> my last one of my cars, um, you know, a family car was my uncle had a Chrysler. My mom had a Kia. My dad had a Mitsubishi. These are three companies from three different countries. They all had the same engine. Right. Because they'll, 2 they'll, they'll liter buy, four cylinder. That's what I'm saying. Is, but they don't advertise these kind of things because right. they, they don't want people. They want you to think because there are Ford people and yes. there are Chevy people. And yes. then there are Toyota people. And they right. don't want to jack with that. They want you right. to... If you're a Toyota person, they want you to be, you know, so they don't want you to jack with that. But when you really start digging, you'll see all of these similarities and components. There's only three or four manufacturers of car components in the world, right? Yeah. They all come from the same place. They Correct. send over specifications and go, hey, and guess what? If Ford and General Motors can save two pennies per part because they yeah. both use the same shape whatever of, you know water yeah. whatever that that's what they're going to do because it saves them money you get right. the same product right that you're happy with so i i think you're going to see more of that crossover as we move forward i think this is a good thing for the electric car even if it yeah. becomes a hybrid i think this is still a good thing for that yes and i just want to close on one statement which is the electric mustang Mach-E was a mistake it could have been a Ford Taurus. It should have been a Taurus Mach-E or whatever the Taurus E, whatever they wanted yeah. to say. Making it a making and, it a Mustang the, was, was and the phrase the, the the moniker Mach-E was simply used to mess with Tesla because Tesla wanted to create a Model E so that they could have a Model S, a Model E, a Model X, and a Model Y. Sexy. That's why there's a Model Three versus the Model E when he went to file the trademark or contested it. Ford had to put something in production with that name mm -hmm. in order to maintain the trademark. That's why we get Mach-E. They should have still been a Taurus instead Horse of... Mach -E, and I get yeah. it that they're trying... Because of the whole Model S, right? Tesla started out as a sports car. They yes. wanted to, their first one to be a sports car, right? A sporty... Yeah, but it's it still gross. Zero to 60 in three and a half seconds. I get all that. But yeah, it still should have been a Taurus. It should have yes. been a Taurus Sport. Right, a tourist whatever. E or something. The point like is, that. you could just put it. it it's the the person you're you're marketing the car to. It just looks cool. I admit that they look cool. They look cooler than a Model S or a Model X. But they X. don't look like a Mustang. It's not a Mustang. And there's one or two automotive journalists who's like, "This is completely a Mustang." And to those people, fight me in the octagon. That's all yeah, I have to you say. You are dead to me. If you yeah. think that, like, no, it's not a Mustang. It'll never be considered a Mustang. It like, they be. will have car shows fifty years from now where one of those will be sitting there, and I, and we'll all tell our grandkids at that car show. I'll be like, I know it yeah, says it's Mustang, Mustang right there, son, but that's bullshit. Yeah, it's not real. That's okay? fake. It's not real. That is a mistake that some guy made, and it's yes. not real. But anyway, what do we got next? We've harped on this long enough. We have. Uh, we have a story about DraftKings next, but before that, I want to tell you about our sponsor for that segment, which is BigManGear.com. That is his idea of a funny merch company. You should go check it out. It's BigManGear.com. It's uh, printed and delivered by our good friends over at Amazon Prime. That's right. Thank you, Jeff Bezos. Uh, much appreciation for helping us out on that one. Personal friend of ours. We uh, He's at the poker game on Thursdays. So <laughs> it is BigManGear.com. And I don't feel bad about taking his money because he got plenty up. <laughs> Nor do I. 
The guy has no poker face. And I was like, oh, I can't believe I have a flush. <laughs> it's always the same. I know. Anyway, uh, go. So DraftKings wants to take its degenerate gambling <laughs> over the over the pot. And it turns out that it uh -huh. can't because their company and Tame, which they tried, uh, which they approached with a $22 billion takeover uh -huh. deal. Right. We just talked about the insane number that 11 billion was, but really a drop in the bucket for Ford. It's just $22 billion to buy a gambling company um, in the United Kingdom. But it turns out that they have a partnership, MGM Bets, which is, I think we've discussed MGM Bets one we way did. or another. Yeah. They are the um, kind of uh, their uh, supplier or whatever. They're 50% of MGM Bets. And MGM Bets is putting the kibosh on this deal, basically. Well, I don't look, I don't think they'll put a kibosh on this deal. I, okay. I don't. Okay. And here's the reason I don't, because it would be stupid. Um, they, look, all of these, when you get into betting, first of all, I want to start this story by when we first did a DraftKings story, several, right. a, a month and a half ago or something like that, we did a DraftKings story because the article said that we were now at 26 states that allowed online gambling or whatever. It was just over that halfway mark. Yeah. Uh, according to this article, we are now at 32 states oh. that allow online gambling with this kind of stuff. So it's growing by leaps and bounds. Okay. Right. So you're talking about all of this money and what do they really want? What are they fighting over? MGM did a partnership with Intain, which is how they get this MGM bets. MGM International. Right. MGM actually tried to, through that partnership, turn around and purchase Intain back in January, it failed. Right. Okay. Because Intain said, no, no, thank you. And what they're fighting over is Intain, they, in this case, we call, they call them skins. This is online right. betting. So they call it, when you have the ability, when a state or a country legally gives the ability to online gamble, they right. sell what they call a skin to a company, right? In this case, Intain, right? Intain has a skin in 27 countries in the European area. So what that's what they're fighting over is entry directly, automatically into those 27 countries because right. everybody thinks that global betting, online betting in the next 20 years is going to grow massively. Of We're course. talking trillions of dollars, right? Yes. So that's what they're fighting over is that entry into the European market, those 27 countries. Right. The first one that you said that, so they, uh, they originally offered 25 pounds per share, right? right. Pound being the European, right? Pound. British um, pound. The British pound. But uh, so 25 pounds, they've upped that ante to 28 per share. Now, again, we talked about last week about money and stock, Right. I'm going to yeah. let you keep stock or I'm going to give you stock in a new company, whatever. When we talked about in this, they're offering 28 pounds per share, but they're only talking about seven pounds per share cash. Right. The rest okay. of it is in make-believe. Make-believe, right? And so when you When you start the, the rest down of that number to only it's, a fourth of it being real yeah. money, right? Seven in cash, 21 of hope. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. So 25% in money. The problem is, is MGM to me, here's what they have to figure out, is how do they how do they allow a business that they're in 50-50 money with, right? MGM right. Bets, which is their DraftKings, right? Which is right. their online platform. 
how did they allow DraftKings to get that 27 countries, right. maintain this partnership, right? But because of that partnership, they have just as much to gain as DraftKings because they would be right. sharing on that MGM. You know what I mean? So you got to think there's enough money to go around for DraftKings to go to MGM right. and go, hey, there's plenty of money, man. L listen, if I'm MGM, I think DraftKings is a better brand than MGM Bets. 100%. Right? So I'm saying, and listen, this is not the only company. DraftKings is not the only company competing in the space of branded sports betting. Now, FanDuel and DraftKings are your two big ones. Right, but here's the guy coming up from the back who has the other part of it solved, which is the branding of the content. Uh, Barstool, right? Again, Barstool, but again, following trends, right? Right, right, right. FanDuel and, um, FanDuel right. and DraftKings are your two players. Yeah. MGM, not even a real player. They're just a player in the betting industry, right? MGM right. Resorts International. They're they're, they're a they're they're a wide they're they're a casino. Right. Brand. And MGM's been around forever, so they're a no right. name. But I agree with you that they're an old school name. Yes. Versus a FanDuel versus a DraftKings. In, in in comparing this to an earlier story, there's something that goes along with operational experience, right? So FanDuels and DraftKings might be really good at doing the online side. But when we talk about sports books at casinos, which is there, there's going to need to be some synergy between the two. You do want an established brand, like an established, you know, that's why Penn National Gaming did a deal with, with Barstool. And that's why you want a company like MGM, because listen, with MGM operating it, and it's called the DraftKings whatever at whatever mm -hmm. casino, that synergy, that is a true, um, a, the true definition of synergy. Because the two brands are going to be able to do something together. That they're, so it's, and Tane here should really be saying, hey, acquire both of us, or there needs to be a different partnership where all three of them are working together. Well, I, I, I respectfully disagree in that I think MGM should, as far as I'm school, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, DraftKings, FanDuel, put MGM out of the, the online business. Just, yeah. just stamp them out like a, like a, you know what I mean? Just stamp them out because, and here's the deal. The fact is, is FanDuel, DraftKings. So you're saying Google, MGM bets should, DraftKings should just buy MGM just bets? Just buy them out because here's the okay. deal. MGM. If they were going to go all in on the future, they would have done it back in January when they had a shot. Entertained, right. entertained, and I, a, a, and they came out with eleven billion dollars. And Entertained yeah. said, "No, nope, get out of here." Right? right. DraftKings turns around with a twenty-two billion dollar deal, right. and all of a sudden, oh wait a minute, twenty-two billion dollars. Now you ring it because here's what they realize: it doesn't matter how much money they give because three fourths of it's fake anyway. Right. right? So it doesn't matter. So I'm giving them $5 million or $5 billion. Yeah. Right. I'm giving them $5 billion. Yes, right. it's $22 billion, but I'm giving you $5 billion. Right. right. So, I, so I don't care what the back end number is because right. the front end number is only $5 billion, Right. Right. Which they're going to eclipse in, in zero time. 
right? Right. It won't and even matter. And it's going to grow over the next 20, 25 years. So it right. doesn't matter what the number is. That's why I say, why don't you go to MGM, if I'm, in this case, DraftKings, go right. to MGM and go, um, what's the check number you want? Yeah. Because there's That's a number, MGM, yeah. Resort, you know what I mean? What's the number you want? Right? And, and I'm going to slide it over to you in an envelope. And we're all going to go on about our business. Right. Now, whether that happens or not is up to MGM. How much does M does MGM honestly think that MGM bets competes in the future against Barstool, FanDuel, against DraftKings? It Can it be one of the top five? And if it's Let me not going to be, they're not going to put the energy behind it to be. Right. Get bought out now. Use the money for something else. So my thought process here is um, let's make a comparison to trading, which is just legalized and acceptable betting. Mm -hmm. um, how many kids started off trading because of Robin Hood? Sure. That would have never been on Fidelity or, well, not Scott trade, TD Ameritrade. How many kids started off because it was just an app on their phone, right? And how many of those companies you know, just they came out with a with a, oh, we also have a robo app or whatever. Right. Right. The, everybody showed up late to the game, and yeah, they're going to capture a different audience. But the reality is, the stark, stark reality is, you lost. TV Ameritrade's app is not yeah. in the younger generation like Robinhood no. or not even, at all. You know, public not not even close. Right? Show me a person. I guarantee it. If I was to see MGM's demographics of people that are using MGM bets that are yeah. in the state that they can. I guarantee you the people under age 35 that have downloaded MGM bets, yeah. it's 1%. No. I bet you that the average person using MGM bets has a grandchild that has to help them place their bets. Absolutely. But that's my point. Is is yeah. who's downloaded who under 35, who under 40 is, is downloading MGM bets? I mean right. seriously. Because it's, uh, I would guarantee you that 99% of the people that bet through them are MG, at one time they were betting with MGM, period, right? Yes. So a casino itself, right? So I, that's what I mean by I don't see how MGM has a real play here. Why right. not take whatever money DraftKings is yes. willing to give you, use it to do something else, and or turn around, partner with them. That's what I'm saying. And your app becomes MGM FanDuel or MGM DraftKings, whatever, right? Right. And just take your cut. So if I'm if I'm MGM, I'm saying, hey, let's 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 start a partnership where there's a DraftKings branded sports book in all of our casinos, because that's a smarter play than trying to be MGM bets. You can even still be MGM. You know how many apps there are out there that are brought to you by the real company? So you could literally be MGM bets brought to you by DraftKings, right. use their entire back end, and then they just give you a cut off the top. That's correct. That's what I would do. Like, just, just be a different, you know what I yes. mean? Be your own branding on there brought to you by DraftKings. Yeah. And it just looks a little different on yours versus the red DraftKings app, you know? Or nobody has to know. Exactly. Just, take just, <laughs> yeah, just hey, let them buy you out. Write me a billion dollar check now. Yeah. Give me another two billion in in stock in the new company. Whatever. Right. Yes. And then give me my ten percent. Right. 
or yeah. my forty percent if it comes it's, in off of the MGM bets, right? Yeah, whatever. It's, yeah. And go on about my business. Yeah, I agree. That's that's insane. But yeah. good for them. Hey, Intane, good for them. Good for DraftKings. Okay, right. Publicly traded company. Right. It, it it's going to be huge. They're expected. Look, in the next couple of years, I mean, it's twenty twenty one. By twenty twenty five, you've got to think that. 40-something states out of the United States are going to have online gambling, I, if I not I think we're going to get to all of them. Yeah, I think um, we're going to get to all just, of them. It costs the state nothing. Yeah. It costs the state nothing, and they're going to get all of those taxes. Right. All of those capital gains. It's all tracked because yeah. it's through an app. It's through a casino, basically. So it's yeah. all tracked. It's all going to yeah. go directly to the IRS. It's all directly going to go to the state. I, 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 this, is a, this is a win, 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 win. For every state that allows no brainer, this it's game. a no brainer. So. Okay, so I I don't see how in the next couple of years every state doesn't just fold and to the listen, money in this. Every case. state is run by a person without a brain, so if it's a no brainer, it shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think you're going to see FanDuel <laughs> and DraftKings really pull away over the next yeah. couple of years. Barstool again, I wish them luck. I really yeah. do. But right. I think they're late. I think they're behind. I think your young people that are 21, 22, 24, 25, right? I think these, these young folks have made their decision. Right. And you know as well as I do that bettors, like people that bet every weekend on college games, on what, they're as superstitious as superstitious gets. Show right. me a gambler that's right. made a decision to go with FanDuel that's going to delete FanDuel off their phone. Right. Right. It's not going to happen. Just not. Yep. So, I agree. that's my thoughts on it. Yep. Should we move on? Absolutely. Ready for the Coming next story? from a child of a mother that was a degenerate gambler. <laughs> I know all of those superstitions. Oh, yeah. My mother loved the gambling. Oh. She was... That's a fun. That's a fun fact I didn't know about Big Man. All the way, all the way down to if my mother was playing slot machines, if yeah. she caught me with my hand sitting on the slot machine, you know, like pushing the button and like whatever, Ooh. she would smack me because you can't leave your hand makes the yeah. machine warm, and if the machine's warm, you're not gonna get the hits. Like you know, oh, hey, no. again, so you press the button right. and get off. You pull the <laughs> lever, you get off. You press the button, I, you get off. I want to tell people about the sponsor for our next segment. Work at home stuff. Work at home stuff.com. That's right. Work at home stuff.com is my website where I've compiled reviews and uh, basically uh, curated a list of my favorite work at home furniture and furnishings. I don't think people are going to start going back to the office. So if you're picking out a new chair, a new desk for that newly minted home office, after two years, you caved in and said, I guess I just work from home now. Go to workathomestuff.com and pick something up. There you go. Uh, uh, this, this next is story. definitely a Danny story. More than our other story about fraud? 100%. <laughs> All right. Um, so my good friend, Marshall Mathers, opened up a uh, restaurant called Mom's Spaghetti. I'm um, obviously in reference to his, uh, you know, it's a huge meme on the internet, which, you know, mm -hmm. uh, lose yourself, the lyrics lose yourself, you know. Yeah. Vomit on his sweater already, mom spaghetti. Yes. Um, he opened this restaurant back as a pop-up 
back in 2017 as part of his album, mm. uh, which he released in 2017. I don't even remember which one that is. Uh, and it turns out he's getting a permanent location. Good for him. Yeah. So next time you visit Detroit, which is perpetually on fire. <laughs> next I'm time not you visit Detroit, I'm not doing it. Listen, but next time you visit America's third world city, Detroit, <laughs> which I'm allowed to say that because I spent over a decade visiting twice a year because that's where my family, like extended family live. I still have a handful of uh, cousins that live in Detroit. It is perpetually on fire. Before I moved to Texas, I received a job at Quicken Loans in downtown Detroit. And if you looked out the one side of downtown Detroit, there's Ford Field, they're building, there's cranes, and then this side of Detroit on fire, literally <laughs> on fire. I can't say any of that. I do enjoy the Deadpool joke in the first Deadpool movie where he's like, no, I'm living to 102 and then dying like the city of Detroit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, look, Detroit, this is... The, um, when, when, the, when the light, when the sun hits the abject poverty, there's just something about Detroit, you know? Mm. But the reason I love this story is that something that when I... I love when things that are memes become real things. Okay. Right? And that, that lyric, that one phrase in that song became so memed in like 2012 was when really was a hot meme. And it take, took five years. But the fact that, he, that Eminem, a multi-platinum selling uh, rap artist, owns a spaghetti restaurant. It just sells spaghetti and meatballs. Like, well, and, that, and that's it. Like, their entire menu is a plate of mom's spaghetti for $9 or $12 if you add meatballs. The right. Skeddy sandwich is $11. And drinks What is three. that? That's it. What is that? A Skeddy sandwich? You know what a Skeddy sandwich is. I do, but I don't want to. <laughs> I just, is it a hot Skeddy sandwich? Like, do they toast the bread? Is it? Just I got so many bread? questions. Like, I mean, is it a meatball sub kind of thing? Who like, knows what it is? I don't know. The point is, is look, here's what I appreciate about this story, because there's a lot of dumbness, right? Right. There's, there's a lot of idiocy to this. But here's what I appreciate. Danny and I have talked about several times on this, on this podcast about pop-up kitchens, ghost right. kitchens, these kind of things right. that do it. I like that this is something that popped up three years ago. They've done randomly here and there. And they right. tested whether this would sell or not. Right. Would the and people that's... of Detroit go and buy a spaghetti sandwich? Right. Right. Whether it was bought by, whether it was not bought, but created by Eminem or not. Right. Well, the people and, and of Detroit... the reality is, go ahead. And the reality is, this wasn't created by Eminem. It was created by a conglomerate restaurant tour that you know just. And, but hey, here's the even funnier part. He was serving. Spaghetti last weekend. That's at my his point. Restaurant. Is again, so it's tied to Eminem. My point though is, is this is a company, and yes, you're right, a conglomerate of restaurateurs and yeah. stuff like that. Okay, but it was tested, retested. You yes. know what? There seems to be enough people in Detroit that, that want this. to buy spaghetti through a drive-through. That yep. you know what I mean? Are willing that this could be a thing, and good for them. That's what I applaud about this story. Is I don't. There was a time where if you wanted to open up a restaurant, if you wanted to do something a little different, you had to go out and find the capital to put 
everything together to find a place right. to put a lease in to get all the kitchenware and all the stuff that it takes you had to put the entire you had to fund the business before you ever open the door right we no longer live in that world right you can which go out and crazy. contract with the ghost kitchen yeah. put your recipes put your you know what i mean things to a test and, and it not bankrupt you right and try it and guess what if it hits Great, you move on to the next stage, you move on to right. the next development, you whatever, but you don't have to bankrupt your entire family to try a new idea. Correct. Now, this is the the location they're opening is on Woodward Ave. If you're a car guy, you know Woodward because that's the D Woodward Dream Cruise. Um, they're putting this up across from I think it's the um, maybe the baseball stadium. I forget what Comerica Park. I think this is interesting that that they actually that there's enough. I get there's enough of there's enough traction for a weekend, but the idea that there's enough traction for a permanent restaurant, it's actually on the ground floor of Little Caesars World Headquarters, which is that's even funnier to me. Well, but look, so they're going to they're going to have a second floor to this, this brick and mortar, right? Yeah. The second is, floor is essentially going to be a a you know a swag shop from yeah. M and M and you know the spaghetti mom spaghetti right or whatever. Right. But here's the deal, and I think that to me is them leveraging as well. Like, yeah. hey, we're going to make some money up top as well. So right. the restaurant and it's also a gift shop, right or whatever. The thing to me is, and again, I don't know anything about Detroit or their uh, how their Culture. commercial properties work out or whatever. But apparently the second floor of this store can only accommodate about eight people at a time. Because it's a trailer. It's a so, replica of the trailer he grew up in. So you've got just enough space for an eight-person gift shop up top. Right. You've got a, a walk-up spaghetti sandwich shop. Right. So there's not going to be any dine-in. Right. It's a walk-up you know what I mean? Spaghetti right. shop. Again, I don't know how Detroit or this part of Detroit is laid out. I'm assuming it's very so, walking friendly. Lots well, of people so, walking yeah. around. So let me just quickly describe for the audience um, this part of Detroit and Detroit in general. Uh, the, the kind of commercial zoning laws are like, hey, if it's not on fire, do whatever you want. <laughs> right? Okay. So, again, I know nothing about Detroit. Yeah, or uh, listen, commercial market. Um, I've actually, I know exactly where this is. I've been down there a couple times, not a lot. Um, obviously, my family lived in the ritzy part of, you know, the uh, not downtown of one of the suburbs. Uh, but it is, it's just fascinating to me that, um, and listen, they've built this as kind of an attraction. And it's like, uh, who's coming to Detroit on vacation? I, I, that's the part that I don't understand. Because attractions work, like seriously, like there's sure. a reason every sure, sure. every place there's a reason there's a, a Disney store in Times Square. There's a reason there's yeah. you know what the Jelly Belly jelly beans and you know what I mean. Yes. There's a Chicago popcorn in Times yeah. Square. Attractions work. People come in, they spend money, whatever. But who is going to Detroit to go to yeah M and M's spaghetti Mom's spaghetti? So here's the thing. Even when I go to Detroit, I'm still really not going to Detroit. <laughs> you fly into Wayne or whatever the city, Detroit Wayne, it's not, it's in Romulus, Michigan. I, you never really touch Detroit. 
right? Your, your goal is to get in a rental car and not touch Detroit on your way out of Romulus. So well, I'm just saying. Look, that, so uh, Eminem apparently is trying to do to Detroit what what was it Matthew McConaughey was trying to do in, in after Katrina in New Orleans, you know, yeah. rebuilding houses and businesses so and, you know. Detroit was the wealthiest city, not in the United States of America, but in the world in 1960. What's but it? it's not, I- yeah, it's, it's not coming back. I'm really sorry to inform, and the guy who's in Quick Loans guy who's invested um, billions of dollars into Detroit and billions of dollars into Cleveland. Sorry, pal. Ain't happening. You think, you think Cleveland and Detroit are lost causes, huh? Yes. And I think my former hometown of Minneapolis, uh, technically I'm from St. Paul. Uh, shout out to the 651. But I'm just saying, like, you know, it's also going that direction. And it's, it's too cold and the taxes are too high. Why would anybody live like that if you don't have to? I think everything is cyclical. I mean, I think I think Detroit, like Cleveland or other places. I mean, we Good just luck. talked about Kentucky and Tennessee, yeah. right? About this big investment into those. People could have said the same thing about those a year ago, right? So yeah. I think eventually it's all cyclical. Eventually, yeah. real estate comes down low enough where somebody out there commercially goes, "This is so cheap. I've got to build this factory, this whatever." Whatever. And as soon yeah. as you start getting decent paying jobs in an area. It just starts to rebound and it just it's all about jobs it really is it's just about jobs yeah. if you have good jobs you will the residences will come in the, you know what i mean the buildings yeah. and i don't think eminem's mom's spaghetti restaurant is really going to be the economic catalyst i'm not saying create, that yeah. i'm just saying that at some point your places like detroit cleveland a lot of these others that used to be big cities that people have been yeah. fleeing for decades it's it's it turns around for those cities. It just eventually does. Oh uh, well, best of luck to Detroit. You know, it just may not o- be in my lifetime. Is all <clears throat> it's the only place, only downtown you can go to in the United States of America and roast a marshmallow on every corner. <laughs> Again, those words are said by Danny. Those are not officially right. the thoughts and and whatever right. uh, opinions of Market Explainer or the big man. Right, just Danny. Correct. All right, is that all today, Danny? Well, I just wanted to, you know, ask a question. Look, if you had one shot, one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted in one moment, would you capture it or just let it slip? What? This show stinks. Dude, it's literally I, the lyrics from yes. the song. This show stinks, folks. We'll see you next week. <laughs>